when you decide to kind of let everything go and force yourself to be uncomfortable and face the clutter in your house, you are going to be facing yourself. You're going to be forcing yourself to do some work that you're not necessarily looking forward to. But in the end, I think it was that I had a little bit of faith. And what she said in her book is you kind of figure your stuff out after you tidy Mm -hmm. your home. And it, it was, I can't believe how simple it was, how simple of a solution is clean your house, do your inventory, get rid of all of that stuff that is on the back of your mind that's killing you inside. And only then can you have the clarity to be able to make a decision about your future. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Our guest today is Alex Erickson. Alex is a personal fitness trainer in the process of completing his KonMari consultant certification. Prior to this, he was a professional model. Alex and his husband, Edgar, decided to tidy their new home together using the KonMari method after their recent wedding. I met Alex when he enlisted me to help him with the KonMari process in their Brooklyn home. Not only did he do an amazing job with the process and was delightful to work with, he was so inspired by the KonMari method that he decided to pursue becoming a consultant on his own. He recently completed the KonMari consultant training seminar last October and is now working on his practice sessions towards certification. Welcome to Spark Joy, Alex. Welcome, Alex. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're so happy to have you today. And I'm super curious about what led you to pursue KonMari style organizing in your home. Were you inspired by Marie Kondo's books? Well, to be honest, I had no idea what the KonMari method was. And so there was, a, <laughs> there was, a, I just knew that there was a lot of clutter in our house and it was something that was on the back of my mind for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I felt like after our marriage, it was the perfect time to hire professional help. And so I spoke to one of my friends and he informed me of the KonMari method. And so um, he told me about how um, her book was a New York Times bestseller. And I really was just to the point of desperation and I was exhausted that I just took his suggestion. And I typed in KonMari and up came the serene home. And so I gave Karen a call and we set it up. Oh, that's so great. So you were pretty recently married and your KonMari experience was based in part on your desire to blend your households. How did your husband Edgar feel about the process and your interest in doing KonMari? Well, the thing with Edgar is he's very, very laid back. And I was the one that was thought that there was a problem. And so I told him that I wanted to make an investment in getting our house tidied. And the funny thing was, is I was pointing my fingers at him the entire time. I said it was his things. It was his problem. And Mm -hmm. that his items were pushing me out of his life. And I don't know if that was necessarily true, but it was... um, 
it was what I thought at the time. I was I was getting angry, not only at him, but maybe at myself too. I just mm-hmm. felt like the way that we were living was unmanageable. Now, I didn't. I don't want people to think that we were completely, um, you know, slobs or hoarders, but there was always a bit of stress that was on my mind. And he was thought that he was fine with having a lot of items behind closed doors. But um, when we hired Karen and we went through all, all of our things, Edgar started to realize how many items and um, pieces of clothing, papers that he had. And it was a really big eye-opening experience for him. So I really think that as long as you have somewhat of an open mind, mm-hmm. you're going to be perfect for the Konbari method. You know, I think it's very common for a couple, when a couple goes through this process, that they're not exactly on the same page. In fact, I think it's generally pretty rare mm-hmm. that they're on the same page. So I think your experience is very common as far as um, when couples do the method. And a lot of times they find out really interesting things about themselves, especially if one person is not as interested in it, but they later then discover that they really do take to it. So it's really an interesting um, exercise in self-exploration. So tell me, what were the categories that were the most challenging for you? Well, the one that I was the most scared of was papers. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, when I think about going through my client's papers, the thought is completely terrifying because it's so much stuff to get rid of. And what you're really doing is you're getting rid of uh, a safety blanket. You know, this paper might be important or come in handy one day. And then in the KonMari method, they say that that is completely taboo. And so I had to let go a lot of my false securities in order to get rid of some of the papers. So that was probably by far the most difficult category. And then I would say that the beginning of the Konmono was really, really difficult because there's so many little subcategories and where are we all supposed to put these items that we don't want to keep anymore? Mm-hmm. And I was really, really nervous about that. And so I started with actually kitchen first because I told Karen I wanted something that was going to create an instant effect, a lot of bang for your buck. And so I dedicated about three hours to the kitchen and I experienced a lot of different emotions, including frustration, anger, um, contempt, and then relief while I was doing the kitchen category, which was really, really surprising to me. I think that the problem with the kitchen is it's used so much. And when you're opening up all of your drawers and you're seeing all of these little utensils, these spices, you might also discover things that, you didn't realize that you had like, why do I have three blenders, you know, and one is starting to rust. Why is there a little bit, why are there three different jars of coriander powder? You start to kind of realize how you hold on to these items. And especially with groceries, that's an item that you 
are constantly purchasing over and over and over again because we need to eat. And so it was kind of funny how I realized that there were so many different food items and, um, you know, food accessories that were just piling up over and over and over again. And so I was really, really frustrated with, with myself and um, with the habits that um, I had developed with the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's super interesting because I think for a lot of people, when they start kimono, it's really hard to know where to start. Um, but yeah. I agree. I think starting in a place like doing kitchen as a subcategory is really a great choice because especially after paper, because paper is so difficult. But a lot of times um, for a lot of people, because we keep paper kind of squirreled away so much, it's really hard to see a dramatic impact, even after you've completely done paper really well. But in your kitchen, it's super easy to see the impact and you're kind of ready for something dramatic at that point. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Well, we were just coming up with like, for example, a lot of, we had like three um, food processor blades Uh and um, I picked one up and I cut myself with it because when I was kind of going through the kitchen, I just, it's like, you have to really face being uncomfortable in the process and going through the kitchen and just kind of realizing how many items you have to go right through. It was just really, really difficult for me. I'm very high, strong person. I have high anxiety. And so having to actually kind of accept that, I was powerless over what my past decisions were for purchasing items for the kitchen and over purchasing. That was really, really hard to accept that, you know, I didn't want to have to necessarily be in the kitchen the entire time. I didn't want to be in that little enclosed space for three hours. So actually picking through all these like pots and pans and having to, um, you know, realize what I wanted to keep and what I wanted to um, discard. That was, it was a bit overwhelming, but it was such a reward at the end because, you know, you get rid of a lot of things like rusty pots and pans, you know, old cloths and old towels, all these different categories, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that are kitchen items. And I don't know, it was just, it was by far one of the biggest categories in the kimono for me to really have to face. And it was awesome when it was done. Yeah. I would say actually, if I had any, like constructive feedback, I guess you could say uh, about the Kamari method, it would be that kimono needed to be separated into bigger categories Mm -hmm. uh, instead of having so many subcategories. Yeah. I just feel like it's a little bit too high level uh, because it's, it's important. There's a lot of things that are revealed, as you mentioned, it gets Mm -hmm. uncomfortable because usually that category is so dispersed uh, throughout our house. And just the fact that we have to like bring everything together to realize that there's, you know, multiple spices, multiple blades, multiple, this, that, and the other (laughs) uh, is, is a big task in and of itself. So it's interesting that you recognize that it was uncomfortable, but you, you worked through it and it taught you something in the end. And we'd love to hear any more uh, moments that you have kind of had post-tiding realizations, aha moments uh, on how this has impacted your life. Cause you know, it's all, it starts all about the clutter in the physical items, but we know that it's more of a lifestyle change in the end. So is there any other lessons that your clutter taught you? 
Yes, absolutely. Edgar and I, we mixed all our clothes together and pretty much all of our items. Um, Even though I'm much taller than Edgar and a bigger guy than him, we, we would sometimes, we would wear some of the same workout shirts. All of our items were, you know, conjoined pretty much. And, um, you know, what I really realized especially post KonMari is how important it was for me to have a little place to put my own clothes. Mm -hmm. And Edgar, he works in fashion. So he has this huge, amazing wardrobe. And then, you know, I work in fitness. And so I have a lot of workout clothes and then like two pairs of jeans, a few pairs of shirts, but I'm really, really minimal when it comes to the wardrobe. And so for me to be able to separate my items from his, it made me feel like I had a little bit more of a sense of who I was and possibly not as dependent upon Edgar to take care of my things because what I was doing during this whole process of, um, you know, keeping our clothes together was I was trying to look for someone to blame and Mm. I wanted to blame all of the clutter on Edgar. And when I separated my own items, what it really forced me to do was hold myself accountable to my own actions. Hmm. I might not necessarily be able to tidy Edgar's clothes, but I can make sure that my own clothes are tidy. Hmm. I can make sure that I know where the items are. Yeah, we call that finger pointing, uh, tidy shaming. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. And that's, that's, I'm, I'm notorious about that. And it made me realize how crazy I would get sometimes um, how impatient I would be Mm -hmm. because exactly I wanted to blame my husband and what I didn't want to accept is that I was just as big a part of the problem as he was. You know, it's so funny. I actually, I remember that conversation super, super well when you were coming to that decision and that you were working through how to make that happen. Um, and I felt like that was a super turning point for you in the process and your ability to make decisions really changed after that. I mean, as far as your, your feeling of confidence in um, what you, how you determine something sparked joy for yourself, it, it certainly became a much more personal thing for you, I think, at that point. Um, and uh, so I, th- I, do, I agree that that was a really meaningful point in the whole process for you. I mean, everything that, for example, my husband, he has a very, very um, distinguishable sense of style. And I, at one time before I met him, I had my own style and I would choose my own clothes. And I think that what happened is when we conjoined all of our things together, it became the Edgar and Alex wardrobe, as opposed to Edgar's wardrobe, Alex's wardrobe. And in a way, kind of by separating it, it helped me develop a sense of what my own personal style is. Um, Because I got to actually see 
what was in the wardrobe, you know, what items I actually had. And it helped me kind of develop respect um, for my items. I think that the biggest thing that I noticed was there were very, very basic staples that I wanted to have in my wardrobe, such as just a nice, simple black t-shirt that looked good, a nice, simple pair of jeans, a pair of black boots, something that was comfortable to wear. And I, when I separated my items, I realized I didn't have any of those items and just these basic staples, you know, I didn't have on my own. I relied upon Edgar's wardrobe and um, it was really, really funny to be able to kind of separate all that. And it Mm. made me a little bit more of an independent adult. I think the category that I remember most of all was the furniture kimono. Um, because you were so decisive about what you wanted the apartment to look like and yep. uh, made a lot of decisions about furniture. And I remember when you would make a decision and that piece of furniture would be out the door. And and, and that meant that you, the three of us, were dragging stuff down. Was it two, was it two flights of stairs? Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. It was, was funny. We, we rearranged everything. We arranged, rearranged the whole entire apartment. Wow. And... Um, The thing is, Edgar, he loves art. And so there were, there was a large collection of different portraits that sparked a lot of joy in Edgar. And it was so important for me to allow him to go through his own process and just to shut my mouth. Um, I wanted more of a minimalist approach where Edgar likes a little bit more of an old world. He loves beautiful portraits, paintings. We had a wall of portraits and it really taught us how to be able to compromise and um, compromise our own preferences for the greater good. So although Edgar didn't necessarily um, discard all of the portraits that I wanted to discard, it wasn't my place to, to get rid of them because they were his. But what he did instead is he, um, he relocated that. So it made a little bit more sense, you know, so there was definitely a compromise. And I think that that's so important as a couple to be able to do that, to respect each other's different tastes, etc. And I think the Konmari method just helped make it a lot more concrete and decisive and a lot more fair. Wow. I love that. How you guys came to a compromise. We have to load up some photos under the spark joy Instagram so that we can show (laughs) our listeners what the end result was. It sounds amazing. (laughs) Well, the end result was actually really, really surprising to me. We decided to move. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, one thing that I told Karen is we were considering moving to Miami, but I wanted to give New York one more chance. And I felt like, especially in a hectic city like New York, it was impeccable that we would make the, um, make our home a sanctuary. However, once our home was beautiful and tidied, there was still something inside of me that felt at unease. And that's like literally within a month, I was looking for places in Manhattan. So we actually just moved to the Lower East Side and we are living in our 
new apartment. And it's really, really funny because I read Mari Kondo's um, follow-up book, mm-hmm. Spark Joy. And she says that people usually could marry their old homes. And after that, they find the perfect mm-hmm. home immediately afterwards. And that's kind of how it worked for us. And that was really, really surprising to me that this was a common thing. It's all about preparing where you are now, not saying, oh, one day I'll get to this, you know, preparing where you are now, living in the present. And then that's kind of signaling to the universe that, yeah, I'm ready for something new, if that makes sense, right? Exactly. And... The other funny thing is once you get rid of all of that clutter and you are living in a tidy house, a lot of those layers of distraction are taken Mm -hmm. away. These subconscious layers, you know, of unrest. So for example, when I find that my house is not completely tidy and I don't know where everything is. It's just this huge list of things to do that I'm avoiding. And then in return, I avoid doing other things that could better myself. So once I conmarried and tidied um, my house, the biggest difference that I noticed is that it kind of crossed one to do big to do task out of the list, get the house tidy. But then it really forced me to look at the current situation. You know, what is it still inside of me that causes me to feel this Mm -hmm. way? What, and it, believe it or not, it was only after that, that I decided that I wanted to do exactly what Karen did. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, and what you yeah, do. that is amazing. So, yeah, so uh, so your home and your experience gave you clues to what you ultimately wanted to do with your for your for career. career. Wow, and how this is coming from someone who had absolutely no idea what he wanted to do his entire <laughs> life, and I think that there's a spiritual approach to tidying, and I think that when you decide to kind of let everything go and force yourself to be uncomfortable and face the clutter in your house, you are going to be facing yourself. You're going to be forcing yourself to do some work that you're not necessarily looking forward to. But in the end, I think it was that I had a little bit of faith. And what she said in her book is you kind of figure your stuff out after you tidy Mm -hmm. your home. And it, it was, I can't believe how simple it was, how simple of a solution is clean your house and, do your inventory, get rid of all of that stuff that is on the back of your mind that's killing you inside. And only then can you have the clarity to be able to make a decision about your future. And it worked for me. Well, Marie Kondo says uh, that great quote where she says that um, once you've tidied your home, that's when you truly begin to live your life. Um, It's so true. It sounds like that's so come true for you. It really has. Um, and I do know from personal experience also that doing Kanmari makes moving a heck of a oh, lot yeah. easier. You're living like you're going to move tomorrow, <laughs> right? Instead of saying, oh, one day I want to move sometime. You're, you're living that way every day. And you brought your like items together too throughout the process. And that's essentially what happens when you move too. You put everything together in a box by category. 
So it makes it simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It typically takes about two to three months, they say, in New York City to really settle. Mm-hmm. After moving, people say one of the most difficult parts of living in New York City is moving. However, yes, um, it took us three weeks to have our apartment completely wow. settled in. Wow, it's amazing. We had some pressure from the universe. Our mom, our aunt, and uncle were coming to stay with us. So we knew we had to have our crap together um, to present to them a nice home. But um, it made the process so much easier. And when we really put our minds to it, we made our new home completely beautiful within three weeks. And all of our friends were shocked. (laughs) So great. So what has it been like for you so far as a consultant in training? Well, it's unpredictable. (laughs) Um, You realize how small the spaces are in Manhattan. And we thought that we had a lot of things. Um, The first client that I did, he probably had like $200,000 worth of designer clothes, the things that he had never worn before. And the biggest challenge is being able to find temporary Mm -hmm. homes for the items that are going Mm -hmm. to be discarded or the items that don't have a home yet. That's the hardest. So for example, if we are going through the clothes and there are a bunch of sweaters stuffed up on shelves and you take those sweaters out and you try to make a decision, you know, which ones to discard and which ones to keep. Um, It can be really, really difficult if you don't have a proper box or something to, you know, do the Konbari folds um, to just put it back on that shelf. So what I did is I actually have been texting you, Karen, some um, for pointers. And um, one of the best things that you said is the most important thing about the Konmari method is that you sort and you discard and eventually the organization will come into place. And what it let me do is it just allowed me to kind of take a step back and keep my mouth shut, keep my opinions to myself and really let the client make a decision what they wanted to do with those items and where to put them. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is when you're deciding on where to put your items after you discard them, that's supposed to be at the very end of going through all of your items. And so it's one of those things when you, especially when you're a client, you have to have faith in doing the entire process. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And it's something that is, not really emphasizing traditional uh, forms of organizing. And so everyone thinks that a storage bin is the answer, right? (laughs) And Mm -hmm, just more mm -hmm. or putting things away, a problem resolved. But I love to just tell my clients that storage is fluid. And I always get asked, well, where is this going to go? Where is that going to go? And half the time, I don't even give them an uh, answer because I don't know where it's going to go. You know, until we complete all the categories, no landing place is permanent. So that's Mm -hmm. so true. I'm so glad you're learning that early on in your training. Oh, I know. I know. And it's scary a little bit because it's, you don't want to lose the, I mean, really you do come dependent upon the consultant. And so for example, I became very, very, I relied upon Karen. And what Karen did is she was very, very, 
she did a good job of emphasizing that the storage and where we're going to put the items is something to worry about at the very end and that we have to trust in our own instincts. Yeah, I think it's, it it almost seems universal that when you do a good sorting, the organization almost just takes care of itself. It becomes so clear because you you've really developed that sense of where you want things to go. And those are those few principles that we try to always integrate into storage. And that is that everything be visible and that things be easy to return to their permanent home. Exactly. And if you can kind of hang on to those two main ideas, then a lot of it just kind of falls into place. Um, and, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons that we – often we'll have clients say to us, well, what should I go get at the container store before right. our session? And we have to say nothing, <laughs> nothing at yeah. all. Because it's just, it's, it's, it seems so easy to do to go to the container store and buy a bunch of containers and things. And, um, and you know, the container store is a, a wonderland of, of, you know, uh, solutions for every problem. But what we find is, is that even though it turns out that you may need a few things, um, you really aren't going to know what those things are until yeah. the very end. Exactly. Generally, it's much, much fewer, many fewer things than you imagine that you would need because it just falls into place. Right. And you can make the best, like most mindful, thoughtful decisions about the final storage place, whether it be a new bin or new drawer system when you've completed the process and you're strong mm-hmm. in your your consumption patterns as exactly. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because um, I create what Edgar and I had was we had this huge box. Remember that gigantic box, Karen? Like it was like huge. <laughs> and we would just store all the stuff that hadn't been sorted or we didn't know what to do with. We would just put it in there. And I remember <laughs> going um, through some of the clothes and stuff with my um, a couple of my clients. We created a designated area that we would call purgatory. And purgatory was where you put all the items that you hadn't sorted through or you just didn't want to deal with. You just kind of gave it this little temporary home. I put it in that box and then they could deal with it later. You know, that's exactly how Edgar and I were able to, you know, when um, Karen left and maybe we didn't sort through everything, we would just keep it in purgatory and then we would face it at our own convenience. So That's a great tip. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other organizing tips? I know you just started moving into this business lane, but do you have other tips that you could share with our listeners about I mean, the, the biggest thing that I wanted to tell my clients is buy a big, there's one thing that you should purchase a big cardboard box. I think that the purgatory area is super, Mm -hmm. super important. I just do. Um, For example, before Karen came for our paper lesson, um, we had already finished doing all of the clothes. And then we had, um, you know, a few items that we were going to donate. And um, one big tip and Karen emphasized this too, is if you are going to donate or sell something, you should try to do it as soon as possible. Um, And so that's one tip. And then the other thing is just have a big, big box to put the items without homes in temporarily. And then in a weird way, it's going to 
holds you accountable to finish the deed, you know, to finish the tasks, to finish the entire Kunmari method. So at least, I don't know, that really, really helped for me, though. There was nothing better than right before papers, going through all of the cupboards, finding all of the, um, you know, bills and manuals and just random papers and just throwing it in that huge box. And then when Karen came, we had, I don't know how big that box was. It was huge. We just had this gigantic box, like full of different papers, um, gift wraps, receipts, Polaroids, everything. And then the other thing. Yeah, I remember sitting on the floor and going through all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was great. I think the other thing was, I think it's so important to have a a non-decision pile. Or what I like to do is put anything that I'm not sure I want to get rid of, I just put it in my sentimental pile. Mm -hmm. And... The thing is, the sentimental category is your last category. And they say it's the most difficult category. And the things that we're really, really on the fence about getting rid of are typically we are emotionally attached to it, whether we'd like to admit it or not. Sure. Um, With my clients, there's this one woman and we would be going through her clothes and she just wasn't sure if she wanted to get rid of the item or not because she was holding on to a past memory. You know, mm-hmm. I saved up a lot of money. I had to work really, really hard and, you know, do these many hours out of work in order to purchase this thing, which was so beautiful at one time. So we put it in the sentimental pile. And as we continued to go through each and um, every piece of her clothing, by the time we were done with that category, she was able to look at those uh, that sentimental pile and make decisions right away. Wow whether or not she wanted to get rid of them or not, you know, it was just Mm -hmm. like very, very instant, you know, but I think that that's kind of the way where you can hang on to it for as long as you want. And as you continue to go through the process, you're just going to have so much more clarity. Beautiful. Those are great tips. Before we leave you, we want to ask you what's sparking joy for you right now. There is this big fat cat and we got it as a wedding gift. <laughs> and it, it's, you can get them anywhere in Chinatown. And uh, Karen actually has a photo of it on her website. Oh, cool. And so what we did is Edgar and I have two different aesthetics. I have, I'm very colorful. I like colors, bright colors, kind of funky, quirky little things. Edgar likes more of like a classic type of decorating. So the things that are um, sparking joy for me right now is our craft area. And I have a cheap candle from the dollar store and it's a money candle and I burn it for good luck. And then I have my big fat cat. (laughs) And then, and then the person, and then the person who sparks the most joy for me is my husband. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. We work a lot. We don't see each other too often. So when I go home and he's asleep, um, it's he sparks the most joy in my entire life. And I'm glad that we went through this process. And I have so much more respect for him. And I have so much. I feel so much more loved because he was willing and open to do this for me. Yes, it's so special when you feel supported through this process, right? It just yeah. goes so much more smoother and you both learn about each other as you work through the clutter. So it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Do you have any final words of wisdom? I think that when you decide you're ready to go through the Konmari method, 
um, you are making the decision to face your demons and mm. to face the things that you have been avoiding for a really, really long time. And in order to, in the 12 steps, and that's like a method of living, that's a, um, a way of life that I um, live by. They say that one of the most important ways to obtain serenity is to do what the fourth step is. The fourth step is to do a very surging, fearless inventory. And I think that when you're doing the Konbarim um, method, at least for me, I was doing a fearless inventory of the material items that I had possessed. And the thing that I wanted to leave you guys with is the most powerful thing that I came to discover. It was one piece of clothing that had so much, it just had so much energy attached to it. And it was this torn up sports jacket that I had worn at my father's funeral. And it was sitting in that closet and it hadn't been touched in about three years. And when we went through all of our clothes and I found that thing and I opened it up and I noticed that the interior was torn and the fact that there was something like that sitting in my closet for all of those years was completely baffling. And to be able to say goodbye to that was pretty much saying goodbye to the pain of his death. And I was able to get rid of that. And I was being able to hold on to the positive memories of what my father was. And, you know, by getting rid of that sports jacket, it helped me kind of come to some kind of closure with his passing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I have goosebumps. That was great. I so appreciate that you sharing that with us. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show with us. It was great having you here. And we wish you the best of luck thank with you. your vacation journey. Oh, man. Thank you so much. It's so fun. I love it. Yes. Uh, practice makes perfect. And uh, yep. <laughs> you stick with it. And uh, exercise mm -hmm. the Kanmari principles of gratitude and honor yep. along the way and you'll do just fine <laughs> yep and it's going to be called can i say sure the name yes. of hot mess great i love it i love it Hi. because i am a hot mess i was a hot mess and if a hot mess can kunbari his place so can you <laughs> oh that's so great <laughs> well thank you so much guys for having me i really appreciate it thanks alex you bet so, to connect with Alex, you can find him on Instagram at alex.wins. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. You can also join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at sparkjoypodcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey, of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago, and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. 
SparkJoy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with KonMari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of KonMari Media Incorporated or the KonMari Consultant Community.